Oh, good morning, Storyline. Happy Easter. It's so good to be together. I know just all over America today, people are opening their Easter service with that clip right there, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> so do you have friends like Barney, like who are just these people who are just unafraid to say whatever comes to their mind in any situation, they're just telling it like it is. I have a couple friends like that, but one in particular is my friend Brian. He, I've known him for literally over 50 years now, and he is like a straight shooter, just does not hold back, just tells it like it is. And as I was reading through the Bible's account of Easter morning, I, I kept thinking about Brian because actually one of the biblical writers, a, a man named John, does the same thing. He just tells it like it is, like no frills, no fanfare. He's just keeping it real. And to be brutally honest, Easter isn't much of a story. There's not a lot of drama to it. I mean, if John wanted to tell it in a way that would somehow convince us that Jesus rose from the dead, then the way that he wrote it, well, there just isn't much to it. John's version doesn't ring of great drama but it does have the ring of truth. This morning, my hope is that we might see something about Easter that we didn't notice before. Because immediately following his resurrection, Jesus does something, the same thing, over and over again, that I think gives us a beautiful picture of the heart of God, what God is really like, what God is all about, and what he so desperately wants and hopes for each of us. So this is how John describes Easter morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away. In this time and place in history, tombs were often like carved into the side of a hill. And to seal it, they would roll a massive stone in front of it. Now, what John does next to me here has the ring of truth because to me, it reads like just this regular guy just recalling something that actually happened from his very, and you might even say, overly honest point of view. So Mary came running to Peter and the other disciple. Now, we need to know that the other disciple here is John. It's the guy writing this down, okay? So that's who the other disciple is. Now look at how he describes himself. The other disciple, the one Jesus loved. <laughs> now I just love this so much, okay? Is that really necessary? Like, John, you just told us like a few chapters ago that he loves the whole world, but you have to throw that in there, right? And by the way, what's that saying about Peter, right? Peter's like, I'm right here, you know? So in any case, uh, anyway, we get it, John. Okay, we get it. You're the one that Jesus loved. It gets better. Mary said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Now, at this point, the three of them are just thinking that the body of Jesus has been stolen. That's, that's just what they're thinking. That the, the thought that he has risen from the dead has not crossed their mind yet. So, so Peter and the other disciple, now remember, the other disciple is John, they started for the tomb, and I just love this. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. 
and reached the tomb first. Now, I am telling you, this is how my friend Brian would tell the story. If there was a gospel of Brian, this is how it would go. Like, do you remember that one time when Jesus was resurrected and I beat you to the tomb? Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, and you know, the resurrection was also great, you know? So just telling it like it is, like just gives it the ring of truth to me. So for the record, in the Holy Scriptures, the eternal word of God, John thought it was a critical detail to get into the Bible, he's faster than Peter, right? So back to the story. He, John, bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then, at last, Peter, who was way back there, came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Finally, the other disciple who, by the way, had reached the tomb first, he throws that in there three times. It's hilarious. We get the point, John. You're super fast. Jeez. Anyways, he also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, when you look at the account of Easter in the four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's about the whole story. I mean, it's short, and it's to the point, or I guess two points at least. Point one, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Point two, John is faster than Peter. <laughs> or Peter is really slow, however you want to look at it, right? But here's the thing. Most of the story of Easter is actually not primarily about the resurrection. It's about what happens next and what keeps happening. Most of the story of Easter is about the appearances of Jesus and what they show us about the heart of God. And I think what he wants to say to us is what he hopes for all of us. Jesus makes at least 15 appearances after his resurrection that we know of that are recorded in the Bible. But it is who he chooses to appear to that's the real surprise. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone or some group was out to get me, like to do me in, and they failed, my first appearance would be to them. That's what absolutely what I would do, right? So I'm sure we've all been following in the news. It's just this court case that's going on in America right now. The coverage is 24-7. You know, will there be a conviction? Is this person guilty? Are they being railroaded? Now, a lot of people warn me, Mike, do not talk, break up this topic because it's so controversial and it's so divisive. And I'm talking, of course, about Gwyneth Paltrow's case. <laughs> and she, <laughs> I scared some of you so bad. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> right. So Gwyneth Paltrow is being sued by someone for running them over while skiing, right? So I didn't follow this at all because like I have a life and so, but I guess the trial, this trial was a total circus. In the end, she's found not guilty and actually she won $1 in her countersuit, okay? But here's the best part. On the way out of the courtroom, after winning the case, getting the $1 and, base, and also reclaiming hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees from this guy, as she walks out, she leaned over and whispered to the man who persecuted and prosecuted her and said, I wish you well. 
Now, to me, that's such a burn, right? Like, now maybe she was sincere about it. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, but I wouldn't have been. You know, it, to me, that sounds like California speak for the Southerns, bless your heart, if you know what that means. <laughs> we'll just leave that up to your imagination. Anyways, if I was Jesus, there are so many people I'd like want to appear to after Easter. You thought you had me, you thought you got me, you thought you killed me. Well, guess what? The joke is on you, right? I think we all can resonate with that feeling, but Jesus doesn't do that. The first appearance that Jesus makes isn't to someone in order to prove them wrong. It wasn't to a disciple or to some holy person. It wasn't to a person with religious status or political power. He first appeared to a woman named Mary. After Peter and John saw the empty tomb, they left. But Mary stayed and wept. She was heartbroken. Heartbroken. Now, I've learned a lot being in this role in our community, but one of the recurring themes is, is how many of us are brokenhearted, like carrying a deep sadness with us throughout life. Maybe it's from regrets and shame. Some of us have been betrayed, abandoned, taken advantage of, taken for granted. Heartbrokenness is prevalent, I've learned. Storyline has lost two of our beloved elders, to cancer since our church began. Many other families are suffering through very difficult times, health struggles right now in our community. Now, most of us hide it so well that when I'm talking with people or hearing their stories of heartbrokenness, I have actually a hard time convincing people that most people have this. Most of us have some kind of broken heart. And, and I do it too. I don't think I'm nearly vulnerable enough, enough to communicate that I have a broken heart. Last month, our daughter Emily would have turned 21. So losing her, that just never goes away. Like we live, as so many of us do, with a broken heart. Now, maybe for you it's a child or a marriage. Maybe it's your health or the health of a loved one. But all of us have some kind of sadness in our life. And one of the things I appreciate about this community so much is that there is a degree of, of vulnerability and authenticity here. I never feel like I have to pretend. I mention this as often as I can. I have a therapist because I need one. I, I have an internet filter because I need one. I'm broken and brokenhearted. You all know that about me, and yet I'm accepted and loved, and I know that I belong here. If you know heartbreak and the distance and the disconnect that can come with it, Jesus' first appearance is for you. John continues, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels. And they asked her, why are you crying? Notice they were drawn to the fact that she's broken, hurting, wounded. When we cry, God notices. She said, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. 
but she did not realize that it was Jesus. The very first appearance of Jesus after his resurrection, it wasn't to a disciple, a religious leader, a prayer warrior, it was to someone who was broken hearted. I've sat in a lot of rooms with a lot of people who are really hurting, as you might imagine with the role that I have. Sometimes they've been devastated by a sudden tragedy, other times they're at the end of their rope after a long and deep sadness. And I always try to find a way to share with them that there's something about our brokenness that God can't resist. The Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Just this week, I was able to share with a very dear and very sick friend something that's proven true for me and many others over and over again. A sense of God's absence is a sign of his presence. In other words, we don't miss, long for, or look for someone we don't know and love. And we see that here in Mary. The first appearance of Jesus tells us so much about the heart of God and his desire to make something beautiful out of the heartbreaks of life.
Thank you, Susie. Beautiful. So Jesus could have appeared to anyone, anywhere, anytime. He had the whole earth and everyone in it to appear to first. He could have made a point to his enemies. He could have looked for praise from fans or power from the masses, but he didn't. He began with the brokenhearted. We may not always recognize him at first, but when we're wounded, when we're sad, when we're defeated, God is close to us when we're brokenhearted. So look for him. The second appearance is to a guy that we all know. His name kind of lives in infamy, Doubting Thomas. You see, later that day, Jesus appeared to all the disciples, but Thomas wasn't with them at that point. And we don't know why the Bible doesn't say. It's, it's not difficult to imagine that he hasn't just given up. Like they killed Jesus, they buried Jesus, this is over, I'm out of here. Well, later when the other disciples tell him, hey, we've seen Jesus, he appeared to us, Thomas basically says, I don't believe it, I don't believe you, thus the name, <laughs> Doubting Thomas. Now, when I read this part of the Bible, I always get the feeling that the disciples were a little bit like, hey, we saw him, too bad for you, you missed it, you know? Like, and I actually think this is often how people with questions and people with doubts can feel around church and sometimes around church people. Like, you don't get it, too bad for you. You're lost, you're out, move along. And this is such a shame because doubters understand more than anyone that something's wrong. Like they look at the world, they look at life, they look at religion and the disconnect between all of this and they think, there's something really wrong here. And maybe there's something wrong with me, maybe there's something wrong with them, but something is very wrong with all of this. They're honest, they're unafraid, and I agree with one writer who sees the critical role that doubt can play in the life of faith. And he says this, Doubt is the bridge that allows us to move deeper into a faith that expresses itself as love. If you struggle with doubt, like I have, and still do, it can help us to appreciate those who are asking the hard and the uncomfortable questions and recognize that we need that for our faith to be humble and loving. The Bible says the next Sunday, Thomas was with them. And if, you're, if you've been around Storyline a lot, you know that that's my single favorite phrase in the entire Bible. One week later, Thomas was with them. Even though he was a doubter, a very important detail to take note of because this is the very first Christian church and the very first week of the church's existence and the infamous doubter, Thomas, was invited and included and belonged. What an example and challenge to the church today. You know, I get asked all the time, like, where did Storyline come up with this mantra, belonging comes before believing, and it's right here. It's Thomas because he belonged before he believed. And if you're someone who wonders about God, who questions, who doubts, has, little, has more than just a little bit of skepticism about this whole thing, from top to bottom, beginning to finish, you're not alone. And you're not alone in this community. And you're not alone in the very first church either. 
And Jesus confirms all of this because a week later, Thomas was with them and Jesus appears to none other than Thomas. And he holds out his wounded hands and invites Thomas to reach out and touch him and believe. That Jesus would appear first to someone who's broken and here to someone who's doubting shows us the mission of Easter, the very heart of God. God is with us when we doubt so we can reach out to him. The third appearance is to none other than Peter. Now here's the thing about Peter. He wasn't just a slow runner. There's other things that we need to know about Peter. Poor guy. That was in fact the least of his issues. Because you see, Peter was a spectacular failure. You could argue in the most critical moment of his life, possibly the most critical moment in human history, Peter failed in the worst possible way. You see, just hours before Jesus was arrested, Peter told him, Jesus, you can count on me. Like, I am there for you. I'll never let you down. And Jesus looked at him and just said, Peter, before morning, you'll deny me. You'll abandon me at the worst possible moment. And Peter just was like, no way, not gonna happen. And sure enough, three times, Throughout the course of that evening and into the next morning, Peter publicly, loudly, and boldly denied even knowing Jesus. And Peter's response to his failure was exactly like you'd expect. He was devastated, like totally ashamed of himself. You know, one of my earliest memories is of my sister and I walking, and I don't even know where we were, but it was some path through the woods or something near our house and, and this dog just like coming over like a little hill like and I thought and she thought attacking us. Now Michelle could not have been more than three years old I'm telling you so I'm like five at this point and when this dog jumped out I panicked. I just ran away. If you know me you know I still don't like dogs and I remember looking back and seeing this dog had knocked Michelle down and to this day I'm not kidding, even writing this this week, I, this, this horror came over me at how I failed to protect my sister. <laughs> the dog didn't hurt her. She doesn't remember it. You're probably wondering where in the world were my parents, right? But <laughs> I don't want to throw them under the bus, but because <laughs> this was back in the day when kids could, you know, play outside. And so, but I, I can still feel this. 50 years ago, I can, I honestly, right now even telling this to you, I feel, I'm, I feel so ashamed that I just left her there like that. We know what failure does to us, what it does in us, how we often just, we hate ourselves for it. People, when they find out about our failures, they shrink back from us because we've seen it happen so many times to us or to other people. And so we assume that our failures will drive God away from us as well. And maybe it's failing a class or getting cut from a team or passed over for a promotion or swiped left in a relationship or swiped right, I don't know which it is, but you get my point. But what we actually see on Easter is completely different because like brokenheartedness and doubt 
our failures attract Jesus to us. It's amazing. We all know what it is to fail, to disappoint. Actually, disappointment is, the definition of it is, the the gap between expectation and reality. But here's the thing. God knows everything. So there can be no gap with God. God has never said, whoa, I did not see that coming. In that sense, we can't disappoint God in our worst, even in our repeated failures. God is not surprised. He knew it before we did it, and guess what? He still loves us. He still appears. After his resurrection, Jesus didn't go to the Jews who persecuted him. He didn't go to the Romans who prosecuted him. He didn't do that to rub it in. He didn't go to holy people or the people who would jump up and down and praise his name. He went to the brokenhearted. He went to the doubting. And he appeared to the biggest failure in the Bible. And watch what he does. The resurrected Jesus was eating breakfast with all of his disciples. And Peter was there. He pulled Peter off to the side. And this is what he said. Peter, do you love me? Now keep in mind, remember, Peter's devastated. He's absolutely ashamed. Here's what we need to know. English, we only have one word for the word love. But in Greek, which is the language that the New Testament is written in, there's actually four words for the word love, depending on what exactly you mean by it. But Jesus uses the word here, agape. He is asking Peter, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter answers like this. Yes, Lord, he said, You know that I love you. But Peter changes the word. He uses another word for love. He uses the word phylos, which means like a brotherly love. Now why? Because he knows he didn't love Jesus unconditionally. When the conditions weren't favorable, Peter failed in a big, hot, steamy, public pile. Peter failed. There are a lot of things that we can fail at in life. My list is long. Maybe you have a list too. But abandoning Jesus when he needs it most has to be near the top of the list. Which is why what Jesus does here tells us so much about God's heart. Peter's response is essentially, Jesus, you know I love you like a friend, but no, not unconditionally, because I'm probably going to fail you again. And Jesus says, that's okay. I can still use you. Go and feed my lambs. Now, this doesn't happen in life, but for Jesus, he lets our past be our past. Broken, doubting, failing, he can still use us. And then he asks Peter again, do you love me? He uses the word agape again. Do you agape me? And again, Peter changes the word. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Okay, Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Right where you are, Peter, just as you are, you can do great good in the world. And then this happens. And this, to me, just shows the heart of God so much. To me, this is the meaning of Easter and the motive behind it. Jesus asks Peter a third time, Peter, do you love me? And this time, Jesus 
changes the word to phylos. You see, he came all the way to where Peter was, to who he was in that moment and everything that Peter had to give. Peter was slow, slow to get there, slow to get it, slow to believe, slow to love. I know the feeling. But here's the thing, it doesn't matter to God. On Easter, God is showing us his heart, and if we are a thousand miles away from him, it doesn't matter how fast we are because God will run the entire way to us. God will come to us when we fail. So let's just love him as best we can. I'm going to close with one last thought. How can we answer Jesus' question with, yes, we love you with agape, unconditional love? Now, I'm going to be sharing about this for the rest of this month, by the way. But Jesus goes into full Barney, to full Brian mode here, and he just shoots it straight because he's telling Peter like it is when he says, feed my lambs care for my sheep. In other words, when God appears to us, we may see the heart of God, but it's only when we allow God to appear through us that we'll have the heart of God.
me I finally got a nomination For an award that I don't need And I say that out of obligation I really spent hours on my speech I thanked my biggest inspirations And the good folks back in Hollywood But it didn't fix me It didn't fix me like I thought it would It didn't fix me It didn't fix me I finally found someone who loves me And to her I will be true she sees the ways in which I'm ugly Loves me for those reasons too And even though I'm feeling stronger Than I ever thought I could It still didn't fix me It didn't fix me It didn't fix me the way I thought Did you catch that last line in this brilliant and beautiful song? It didn't fix me in the way I thought it would. He's saying, when I experienced this unconditional love and extended it, no longer using my life to make me happy, but as an opportunity to love others, that did start to put me back together. Maybe it didn't fix me, but it started to put me back together. It's such a brilliant song. I love it. And the same thing happens in this junior high with these young men. Now, I bet we've all experienced this as well. When we love God and love God the way that God loves us unconditionally, it transforms us because we have God's heart. On Easter morning, God rolled away the stone from Jesus' grave and with it everything that separates us from him to appear to us. No matter who we are or where we are, he appeared to the broken, 
to the doubting, to the failed. And on this Easter morning, he is still rolling stones, still appearing to us, and if we'll let him, through us.
Okay, Sinai, you sung that better than I could. I'll, I'll give it to you. We were it was such a close debate on how we were going to close today. Look, the rest of this month, we're going to be sharing, I'm going to be sharing about how Easter, God appearing to us, God appearing through us, rolls away the stones to change everything about us in an, and our lives. I hope you'll join us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, for this opportunity to be together. We're so thankful to come together this morning on this morning, on Easter morning, when you have come back to life, to live your life in us and through us. I pray that you would help us to actually believe it, to trust it, that you are here for us and with us and that you come to us even when we're broken when we're doubting, when we failed. This week, help us. Give us your eyes to see, your hands to serve, your heart to love in your ways in this world. God, I pray that as we leave here this morning, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. Happy Easter.